continue with our introduction. Continue with our introduction into Job. Okay. So last week we started our introduction covering three concepts from James. Three concepts from James. Those concepts were number one. Faith, there we go. Okay, suffering and perseverance and justification. All right, I'm not going to review uh, any of those because I want to make sure we, um, I wanted to make sure we have those, but I want to move on. There's three more concepts that I want us to make sure we have our minds settled on as we go through the book of Job. All three of these concepts can be seen in what we call the prologue, okay, the first two chapters of, of the book of, of Job. And it's important that we um, have these things in our mind, um, but as well as being able to see how these things work out in real life, okay? So uh, those concepts are, number one, God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty. Number two, God's providence, and number three, retribution, retribution. Number one, God's sovereignty. Number two, God's providence. And number three, retribution. All right. I'm going to work my way through uh, through this uh, one at a time. Um, I have taken uh, some quotes and some paraphrases from uh, multiple sources. Okay, so um, if you if you have systematic theologies for um, Geisler, Grudem, Frame, who else did I use? If you have the e uh, Evangelical Dictionary of Theology or Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, all right? Uh, that's where uh, a lot of this information has come from. Don't say I plagiarized. All right. <laughs> I treated my sources up front, okay? <laughs> all right. God's sovereignty, okay? Most of us know what the uh, word sovereign means, right? Okay, um, we, we hear things like the United States is a sovereign nation. Okay, so we understand this idea of sovereignty, but this idea of sovereignty can also be applied to God. Okay, when we talk about God's sovereignty, we are talking about God's control over his creation. Okay, when we say that God is sovereign, we're talking about God having control, rule or reign over his creation. Um, by sovereignty, we also mean that God has the right to rule over his creation. Um, I guess I shouldn't use examples. Um, however, since 2016, okay, um, those of us who live in the United States, uh, it seems like half of us have a president, and the other half do not. 
okay? <laughs> stay, you, you with me, okay? Um, uh, we had an election. People don't like the results of, a, of the election. And so for the last two years, people have been saying, not my president, okay? Uh, what people are contesting is Donald Trump's right to rule over the nation as the president, okay? So he has the title, but people don't believe he has the right to rule, okay? But when we talk about God's sovereignty, we are saying that God has the right, by virtue of who he is, okay, he has the right to control and rule over his creation. Is everyone with me? The next thing I want you to know about God's sovereignty, I'm going to just do these as bullet points and uh, so we can um, move through this quickly. The next thing I want you to know about God's sovereignty is that there are no limitations to his sovereignty except, okay, so these, when we think about God's power, right, because God's sovereignty is tied to his, his power, right, unlimited power. There are no limitations, is what we normally would say, except limitations that are consistent with his own nature. Okay. Now, when we talk about God being all-powerful, does that mean God can do anything and everything? It's not a trick question. Okay. When we say that God is all-powerful, does that mean God can do any and everything he wants to do? Okay. Can God make a square circle? Wait a minute. We just said God can do any and everything. Okay. So can God make a square circle? <laughs> what in the world is a square circle? Did that, uh, he, I didn't say make a square into a circle. Can God make a square circle? Okay, what is a square, if he changed the name, what is a square? An object that has four equal sides. What is a circle? Something that's round, it has no sides. So how can a person make a square circle? Okay, how can God make a square circle? <laughs> Listen, because he's sovereign. <laughs> By definition, a square circle is irrational. God can't do irrational things. It's not consistent with his nature. Right? So, God can do anything. He has control of everything. The only limitations that God has is the limitations of his own nature. God cannot do things that are irrational because he's not an irrational God. You with me? Okay. That's like the other example. Can God make a rock too heavy for him to pick up? Can, can God make a rock so heavy he himself can't pick up? And I like how people do that. Well, God the Father can make a rock that Jesus couldn't pick up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So 
the question itself is absurd. You got me? God does not perform absurdities. Okay. He only has limitations that are based on his own nature. Just like God can do anything, but can God sin? No. Okay. So, God is only limited by his own nature. Number four, fourth thing I want you to see is God's sovereignty or his governance denotes the fact of his control of all things. And we'll make a distinction on this when we look at providence. It is a, it is a fact that God has control of all things. And we'll see how that works out when we talk about his providence. Is everyone with me so far? When we talk about God's sovereignty, right, we are saying that God is king of everything, he's the supreme ruler of everything, and that God is the lawgiver of the entire universe. God is the king, he is the supreme ruler, there is no one above him, and he is the lawgiver of the universe. There are no laws that God himself has to appeal to, right, outside of himself. Now, let us ask this question. Can God break the Ten Commandments? Can God break any of the Ten Commandments? Is it possible for God to steal? Is it possible? Is it possible for God to steal anything? Okay, it's not in his nature. That's not the, the reason why, what I'm think, uh, that I'm thinking, though. Because everything belongs to him. <laughs> okay? <laughs> right? Everything, everything belongs to him. Okay? So... It's not just the fact that it is outside of his nature. Is that how can I steal something that already belongs to me? Right? God is the king. He is the supreme ruler. And he is the lawgiver. But he himself is not subject always in the same way to the laws that he gives to us. Right? Because... He's sovereign. He's in a category by himself. Is everyone with me? Right. Um, there are several names in the Bible that um, help us to see God's sovereignty. God is called God Most High. He's called God Almighty. He's called the Sovereign Lord. He is called Lord God Almighty. All of these titles signify someone who is sovereign, someone who has the right to rule. <coughs> Um, this is something that is a little difficult for us to uh, accept. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1 a couple times, but Ephesians chapter 1. And what I want you to see is, God's sovereignty is expressed in the comprehensive plan he has 
for world history. God's sovereignty is expressed in the comprehensive plan that he has for world history. When we look at the world, it may not seem like there is a goal, right, or a plan that's mapping out everything, and yet it actually is. Uh, look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Okay. Now, what is Paul trying to say? Paul is, tr is saying that God has a purpose and a plan, right, that he is trying to accomplish in the world throughout human history. And regardless of what is taking place in the world, God is using all events, everything that happens in the world, in order to mirror the plan that he has set up, which is the counsel of his will. Okay, so he has, he has decided what is going to happen in human history, and God is working out that plan through human history in all of the events of our lives. Okay. He has a plan, and he is working that plan in and through each of our lives. Number eight, the eighth thing I want us to see here, you could turn to Philippians. You all sh should all know where uh, Philippians is. I, I taught you the little um, acronym, Girls Eat Popcorn, okay? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, okay? So go over to your right, one book, Philippians chapter 3. When we talk about God's sovereignty, we are shining a spotlight on God's power. God's sovereignty is his control of all things. God's sovereignty is his right to control all things. And when we talk about God's sovereignty, we're talking about his ability to control all things. Now listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Now, he's not talking about sovereignty or anything in it specifically, right? But listen to what he says here, um, starting at verse 17, okay? He ta he's talking about our citizenship. He says we're citizens of heaven, right? And when he gets to verse 21, he starts to talk about how God is going to transform our human bodies into spiritual bodies, okay? Verse 17, brethren... Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, their appetites, okay, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 21, who, Jesus Christ, he will transform our lowly body 
that it may be conformed to his glorious body. And how is he going to transform our human bodies into a heavenly body? He says, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. The way that God is going to transform our human bodies into heavenly bodies is according to the same power that he has, the same ability that he has to make everything in the universe subject to him. He has the ability to subject everything in the universe to himself. That's real power. And so when people say, well, I have free will, I can do what I want. God can't even make me do this. I don't think you understand. (laughs) He has the power to make everyone do exactly what he wants. And he's going to use that same power to transform your earthly body into a heavenly body when he comes. You got that? So we're talking about God's power, his ability. Two more things, and then we're done here. When we talk about God's sovereignty, we quickly try to limit this idea when we talk about natural disasters and sin. So, I'm a, you all know I have a friend who, who's an atheist, and, and he loves to, to point out every time there's a disaster, every time there's a story about um, a, a, a famine and someone's um, children are starving and things, uh, why would you serve a God that has the power, but he allows all of these little children to starve? Why do you serve a God who would allow a seven-year-old who's walking down the street in Baltimore with her mother or grandmother to the store, and there's a, a, just a random shooting, and she gets shot and died, right? God has the power to stop that. Why did he allow it? And so what we say is, uh, well, God, you know, he allows things to happen, right? And so we try to, you know, try to give God an out. Well, he didn't know. He just allowed it, okay? We can't let God off the hook easily like that. When we say that God allowed these things to happen, what we're saying is, in effect, God still bears some form of responsibility because by allowing it, he didn't stop it. He didn't say no. And what we have to accept is that God's sovereignty extends to everything, including natural disasters and sin. Now, God is not the author of sin. God doesn't cause us to sin, right? These are things that we do on our own. But God is sovereign over our sin. And God is sovereign over natural disasters. Now, let me um, give an example, and then I'm going to give an, um, use a, an example in the Bible. Hurricane Dorian. 
sky. It's in the Atlantic Ocean. It's barreling towards the Bahamas. Does God have the power to turn that storm back out to sea? Okay. Why didn't he? <laughs> right, like, that's what I want to know. <laughs> I mean, Dan says we don't know, right? We, 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 we just don't know. He could have, but he did not. So for, for some reason, he allowed that to happen, which means that in his sovereign plan, he said, yes, let that move forward. Now, it's going to accomplish some goal that we don't understand, something that we don't, can't comprehend, something that on the other side of eternity, it'll all make sense. But we can't let God off the hook by saying, oh, well, you know, he really wasn't involved. This, you know, it just happened. You know, it's just God allowed it. God is sovereign over every single hurricane. He was sovereign on 9-11. He was sovereign on every single thing that happened in your life and in my life. He rules over everything. Now, I want you to look in Acts chapter 2. And while you turn to Acts chapter 2, let me ask you, who is responsible for Jesus' death? Now, who is responsible for Jesus' death on the cross? Okay, we are. We are responsible. Okay, it's not a trick question. <laughs> right? Okay. There were human beings who nailed Jesus to the cross, correct? Okay. Okay. Is it a sin to nail the Son of God to a cross? Some people are confused. They're like, they're like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Is it a sin to nail the Son of God to a cross? Okay. Is it, okay. It, so we, we all on the same page. It is a sin to nail the Son of God to a cross. There you go. Acts chapter 2. I had to ignore Mike. Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. He says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, sinful hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Okay. Now listen to, listen to all of these things that's going on that Luke is writing. 
He says, as far as Jesus' Jesus's death is concerned, you all are guilty. You all were lawless and sinful in taking someone who is innocent and did not deserve to die. You all nailed him to a cross and crucified him. Okay. You all are guilty. And yet, at the same time, he says, this was God's determined purpose and plan. God planned it that Jesus was going to be crucified. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus' crucifixion a sin? Was it a sin? So you're saying that so you're saying that the people who crucified Jesus would not be subject to hell because they killed him. Y'all like, oh, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this church. <laughs> Come on, think think with me. It was a sin. Anybody else believe that crucifying the Son of God is a sin? It's a sin. It's a sin. Okay. Was it also God's plan from all eternity to have his son crucified for our sin? Okay. So that means that God didn't make anybody sin, but he's sovereign over their sin in order to accomplish his plan. <laughs> did God did God make them nail his son to a cross? <laughs> All right, stay 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 with me. Stay stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Last one, Miss Penny. So how does it come to pass, though? Does he make us do these things in order to accomplish his plan? Or does his plan somehow include our free choices? Correct. Okay. Martin. Oh. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, it's, it's our free will to sin. But do you see that God's plan, which was in place before he created anything, also includes our free choices to sin? You got me. Say it again. Say it again. Oh no, you still it's free it's still your free choice to sin. <laughs> you just don't have it you just uh 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 don't have control over the consequences. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I like how you put that together. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 All, all I'm trying to get us to see is God is sovereign over our sin, right? We think that we're doing the things that we're doing in, in, in freedom, right? It's arbitrary. I can do what I want. God knows all things from eternity past, and he's already made a plan <laughs> that includes your free choices Okay, that will accomplish his plan. Last thing, and this will lead us into our, um, oh, I have a couple Bible verses I'm going to read to you after this. Um, God's sovereignty is exercised and displayed in history in three things. Okay, Three ways that God's sovereignty is demonstrated in history. Number one, creation. Number two, providence. Is it really 1212? Oh, Lord. We're going to be here for a long time. (laughs) And number three, redemption. Creation, providence, redemption. God demonstrates his sovereignty in the fact that he created everything. Right. Number two. Not only has he created everything, but he sustains everything in existence, right? And I know in school they tell you, well, the reason everything exists is because you have atoms that's made up of protons and electrons and neutrons and, you know, all of those things. That keeps the world in existence. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Because if Jesus said one word, None of that stuff would, none of this, nothing would remain in existence. The reason that, that atoms keep everything into, in existence is because Jesus is powerful word. All right. So creation, sustaining his creation, and then redeeming his creation, dying for our sins. A couple Bible verses, and then we'll move on. We're going to try to still get you out on time. Psalm. 103, Psalm 103, Scripture references on God's sovereignty, Psalm 103, 1 verse, verse 19, I'm going to keep moving, I don't have time to, for y'all to catch up, <laughs> 103, verse 19 reads, the Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. He's established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 115. 
Psalm 115, verses 1, 2, and 3. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? Verse 3. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Where is your God? Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever pleases him. <laughs> okay. And nobody can stop him. Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46. Verses 8 through 11. Remember this and show yourselves, men. Recall to mind, O transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. My will, my plan will stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel, right, talking about calling nations to judge um, others, from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. It will, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. When I plan something, when I want something, I will do it. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Last, Daniel, what did she say? That's it. Daniel, chapter 4, we should all be familiar with uh, the story of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar is having dreams, and he's praying for, um, um, asking for an interpretation, okay? Quickly, Daniel, chapter 4, verse 17, listen to what... Uh, Daniel says, this decision is the decree of the watchers and the sentence of the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills and sets over it the lowest of men. Okay. You want to know why certain people win elections? He puts in power whomever he chooses that's the reason people win elections that's it verse 25 they shall drive you from men your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like oxen they shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomever he chooses Verse 39, I'm sorry, verse 34. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Nobody in heaven can stop him. Not a, an army in heaven can stop him, and no army on earth can stop him. Okay, that's what he says. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, 
and no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? You can't stop me. <laughs> right? Like, true soldiers. Like <laughs> 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 I don't know why I think in terms of music. I just don't. <laughs> okay. So his sovereignty means he can do what he wants, when he wants, and there is no one that can stop him or question him on why he's doing that. Y'all with me when it comes to sovereignty? Okay. So when we look at the book of Job, right, God's sovereignty is in play. Because in Job chapter 1 and 2, God is seated, so to speak, in a, in a heavenly court. And all of the sons of God, the angels, come before him. And Satan also comes before him. Okay. Now, without these two chapters, the book of Job really won't make sense to us. Right? Job is suffering. There's problems. And, 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 and what we tend to do is we, we blame it on the devil. As if somehow God and the devil are equals and they're fighting things out. And sometimes the devil wins and sometimes God wins. Okay. That's not the picture of sovereignty in the Bible. God is seated on the throne. <laughs> and Satan comes before him. And any time Satan wants to do something, he must get permission. And God says, you can do this, but don't do that. You can destroy his, his take all of his possessions. You can make him sick. You can't touch his life. Right? God is sovereign. He's in control. So every single disaster that comes into your life, even though the enemy may bring it, he had to come through God first. So ultimately, when Job says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord, the next verse says, Job didn't sin with his lips. The enemy is the one who, who brought the, these, the, this pain into his life. He attributed it to God. And he did not sin with his mouth because God is sovereign. He rules over everything, even our pain. You with me? Second thing, providence. God's providence. Remember that we said that God's sovereignty is seen in three things, creation, providence, and redemption. Okay, so when we talk about providence, we're talking about how God sustains the world that he has created. Okay, so first thing here I want you to see is the providence of God means the continuing action of God in preserving his creation and guiding it towards his intended purposes. The providence of God means the continuing action of God in preserving his creation and guiding it towards his intended purposes. Okay. So, God created the world on in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. Does that mean when God was resting that he was not 
continuing to be involved with his creation? No. Right. Creation was an event that took place in one week, right? That's done. But from the moment of creation, God has actively been um, has actively been working to sustain creation in existence. Okay, let me give you an example <coughs> of how God sustains creation in in its existence. You walk into a shoe store. And then you walk out and you can't breathe. You don't, uh, you don't know that your heart is beating too slow. Okay. But you, all you know is I can't breathe. You, you go home and instead of going to the ER, you decide to go outside and paint a deck in 90 degree weather. And then wonder why you're about to pass out. Okay. Don't tell my mother I'm talking about her. <laughs> Okay. But God has created us in such a way, right, that he gives you a heads up when there is something that will threaten your existence. You you start to have pain in your in your in your arm. Why do you have pain in your arm? Because something's going on with your heart, <laughs> right? And and, and and you can't feel problems in your heart. And so you have nerves that are attached here. And so it starts to send you a signal. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Check your heart. Okay. That's all God's providence. God has created his world in such a way so as to sustain it in existence. This is something that is ongoing he is preserving creation to reach his intended purpose and goal. Second, there are two aspects of providence. Number one, there's preservation. God is preserving his creation. And number two, he is guiding the course of events in the world. God is guiding the course of events in the world. Quickly, I'll read you two verses. You have to turn here. The first one is Colossians 1.17. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things consist. Okay, this word consist means that everything is held together in him. Okay. So in Christ, all things are held together. He sustains all things by his person. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, scripture that we read this morning. I'll start at verse 1 down to verse 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, he has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Verse 3, who, being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by his powerful word. His word is what sustains 
all of reality. You see that? He is, if we go back to our catechism questions, what is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. There we go. See? Got to make sure it all connects in your mind. Okay? <laughs> right? So, he preserves creation, and he also guides the events of every single thing. Number three, providence means essentially foresight. Okay, so that's just what it means, right? It has two uh, um, um, in, in Latin words put together, right? Um, providere, so uh, to us, pro video, right? So to see something before it happens, right? Um, uh, but the idea is that you are making provision for something beforehand. Okay, Not just God sees things beforehand, but God has provided for those things beforehand. Right. Um, here's a, a, a long quote. Right. This is from Herman Bavink. Originally, Providence meant the act of foreseeing or foreknowing what would happen in the future. But the Christian faith does not understand the providence of God to mean a mere foreknowledge. It confesses that all things are not only known by God in advance, but also determined and ordained in advance. Providence does not only involve God's mind, but also his will. Okay, So when we think about the word foreknowledge or to foreknow, we think that's about, uh, about information. God knows things in advance. But that's not what we mean by, by foreknowledge or providence, right? We're saying that when God knows something in advance, that is a function of his knowledge and his will. Because what God knows will come to pass. Um, not going to spend a lot, any, any time, all right, we do this in Bible study a lot. We're not, we spend a lot of time talking about free will, okay? Um, most of us understand free will, um, as, um, arbitrary choice, right? It's just, I can make any choice, I can do whatever I want at any moment, okay? Um, but that's not a good, um, definition or understanding of free will, Free will is not arbitrary, okay? So what we think is that if, it's, if, if my free will is bound in any way, it's not free. But that's not true, okay? <laughs> um, free will is us having the ability to make choices in line with our nature, okay? You have the ability to make choices in line with your nature, and God knows your nature completely. <laughs> okay. um, and so he knows what you're going to do in any given circumstance, right? You don't know. So to you, it's free. And to God, he already knows. Okay. And all of us know this, right? Um, you, every single one of us who has ever raised children understands this. Okay. Now, I have two children. I do this. I do this routine every single every single night. All right. You need to go upstairs, brush your teeth, get your pajamas on, get ready for bed. Okay. 
Now, I know I have to start this earlier than I actually want them in bed, okay? Because when I get upstairs, it's going to, you know, just sta stand in the hallway looking around. <laughs> Did you brush your teeth? Oh, oh, my gum is hurting. Oh, <laughs> right. I already know in advance what's going to happen, <laughs> okay? And, and so I guide the events, you know, 30 minutes before I want them in bed. I'm like, time to turn the TV off. Da -da -da -da. Oh, this, this show is not off yet. I'm like, I need you to go do this. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, because I know there's a specific time I want them in bed. I already know the, the song and dance we're going to have to do, right? It's their free choice. They could go upstairs and brush their teeth, put their pajamas on, and be waiting in the bed when I get there. It's free will. I know they're not going to do that, though, right? And then it's going to be, ooh, 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 I forgot to give mommy a hug. And, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. And then after that, all the lights and stuff are off, right, I wait a little bit. And then I get up and I come walking down the hall. And I hit. <laughs> 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 because I got, I got one laying on the floor under a nightlight reading a book. <laughs> you know. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a routine. It's free will, but it is possible to know what people are going to do in advance, right? That's why we come to church and fight. Why are they sitting in my seat? Okay. Because we're creatures of habit, right? We, we, we do the routines because that makes life safe. And God knows all of these things in advance. He knows what you're going to do in any given situation. And so God is maneuvering and shaping events to get you where he wants you to be. That's his providence. You all see that? Providence is the means by which God is in control of all things, bringing his purpose um, to, um, to fruition. Providence, and this is uh, something, um, I forget who, are, who this, uh, this came from, Norman Geisler. Providence stands between two extremes, okay? What you all are hearing me say is, you, is usually what we call fatalism, right? It doesn't matter what I do. God is going to Bring the past what he wants anyway, right? So I don't really have free will, so uh, whatever, right? Um, and on the flip side, we have what is called indeterminism, right? I'm free. I can do whatever I want, right? I'm just free, right? Libertarian freedom. Providence is not referring to either one of those things. It walks in between the two, so Norm Geisler says. It stands between two extremes, the extreme of fatalism and indeterminism, right? It maintains both certainty and liberty. What God foreknows is certainly going to happen. There's no way God in his foreknowledge from eternity past foresaw every single thing that's going to happen in any, from all eternity, and something different happened. It is certain these things are going to happen. 
it was certain that Judas was going to betray Jesus before he was even born. And yet, God didn't make Judas betray Jesus. He was absolutely free <laughs> the entire time. He could have made a different choice, but he wasn't because God already knew what he was going to do. Okay. So providence is not fatalism. Okay, It is not God just moving us around like puppets to do all these things. But what God knows is certainly going to happen, and it is going to happen because of your free will. Now, how did all that work together? I don't know, because I'm not God. <laughs> right? And we have been debating how this all works together for centuries. We don't know. I don't know how event, the events of this world are absolutely certain. And yet, we are still free to make our choices. The Bible doesn't explain that. The Bible just says that's true. Um, and these are things that we have to except by faith. Almost done. Um, the word providence is not technically found in Scripture. Okay? Um, instead, the Bible uses um, phrases like, um, God gives food to every creature. Right? That's um, Psalms 136.25. Um, it also says things like, um, he makes springs pour water into the ravines, okay? So um, it, 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 the Bible speaks in concrete terms of what God does, right, in order to provide for us. Um, providence speaks of God's care for his creation. I want you to turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. When we talk about providence, we're talking about God's care for all of creation. And it's funny, I have a, an example of, of God's providence in taking care of his creation uh, personally. So I w went out there to try to kill the weeds in my front yard, and I bought some weed killer, and I put the weed killer on, on the spots. And um, I mean, it was weed and feed. And um, it seems like it killed all my grass and made the weeds grow. And I'm like, that's not how it's supposed to work. I thought it was supposed to work in reverse. <laughs> okay. So, and so I, I, I go to the store and I buy, uh, you know, big bags of, of, um, of, uh, of dirt uh, with fertilizer and stuff in it. And, um, and so I put the put my, uh, uh, you know, seeds down in the dirt and things and rake it and, you know, covered all dirt. And I was like, I'm going to have a brand new yard, right? And so I'm watering it twice a day and everything. So and then I, I leave and I come back. And there's like 50 birds <laughs> on, my on my grass. It's like every bird in Baltimore County is on my grass. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and so now I got sections of nice green grass and just sections with nothing that's God's providence <laughs> that is God satisfying the desire of every creature <laughs> now I gotta go buy some more bird seed I mean uh, uh grass <laughs> right, uh, <laughs> right 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 now I gotta go buy some more grass seeds and I'm gonna have to sit out there 
every day to sit out there and wait for the grass to grow and make sure they don't eat my <laughs> eat my seeds. <laughs> yeah, I ain't feel like paying for the hay, you know, I'm cheap. <laughs> so, um, Psalm 145. Listen to what the psalm says. This whole psalm is about God's providence. Verse 1, I will extol you, my God, O king, and I will bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Okay, his wondrous works. Okay, this is a it's about providence. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, even those birds. Okay, <laughs> And his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your works and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who falls. Okay, he sustains. He upholds all who falls and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Okay. God is a provider. He sustains all things. Um, and again, what is the extent of God's providence? All things, okay? Heaven and earth, the movement of the stars, you know. I, I love when people say, oh, yeah, I read horoscopes. I'm like, you shouldn't base your life off of horoscopes. But it is so accurate. People can, you know, it's like the, the stars that are perfectly aligned. And do you understand maybe God uses stuff to make you do things? <laughs> right? You shouldn't plan your life based on horoscopes. That's horrible. That's horrible. Okay. But God directs the course of everything in the universe. He directs the course of hurricanes, and he directs the course of bullets. He directs the course of everything. He even di directs the course of your life with your sin and the pain that comes in your way. That's why we love Romans 8, 28. God works all things, right? He works all things for the good of those who love him. It does not say all things are good. It says that he works all things for your good. That is a statement of providence that even when pain and suffering comes into your life, God is able to weave and direct that pain and suffering to get you where he wants you to be. 
Now, we know all know this from Matthew chapter 25, last scripture reference. I won't won't take you to it. You, 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 we all know this passage, right? Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or where or where you will sleep. Because my father already knows you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, he puts this all in the context of those um, birds eating my grass seeds. He says, look at the birds. <laughs> he says, they, they, don't store up, they don't store up food or anything, and my heavenly father feeds them. <laughs> See, you know, I just, I just thank God he just used me <laughs> to feed those birds, right? They, they, they don't expend any energy to feed themselves. Don't you know that you are more important than birds? If God is about sustaining the lives of animals and you are more important than those animals, don't you think my father will sustain you? That's God's providence. Now, how does this work out in the book of Job? In the book of Job, right, <laughs> we see that God sustains Job through all of it. Okay, so Satan says, hey, you take everything away from him, he's going to curse you to your face. Hey, let's put that to the test. Okay, and so Job chapter 3 he stays strong, you know. He 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 uh, uh, he doesn't give in. Okay, the Lord gave, the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His wife comes to him and says, "Why don't you just curse God and die?" And I'm trying to get this life insurance policy money, man. <laughs> and 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 God sustains him. Right. He doesn't give in. His three friends come along and 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 they, and they keep they they keep jabbing they keep jabbing. You, that's why your children died. He's like, ooh, he's like, <laughs> like, you know, and he wasn't convicted of murder, <laughs> right? Or assault and battery. Okay, so God is sustaining him even through all of these events, so he will not turn his back on God. Last thing, and I'll do this in two minutes, and we're done. Retribution, okay? I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. This retribution principle, right? Some people call it a retribution principle. Some people call it a theology of retribution. Um, some people just use the term retributive justice, Okay. So we all understand that when someone commits a crime, we lock them up, okay? That's retributive justice. Okay. They, 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 they do something wrong. They get punished, okay? So this idea uh, runs throughout the book, this idea of retribution, okay? And so um, this is what Satan is attacking God for when he says, does Job serve you for nothing? He, he has a reason to serve you. 
You have given him all of these blessings. He's only serving you because you keep blessing him. But if you take those blessings from him, he will curse you to your face. Okay, so that's this this idea of retribution, that those people who do good are blessed and those people who sin are cursed. Right. God keeps giving him blessings. So he has an incentive to do the right thing. So he keeps getting blessed. Okay. Now. Um, this is the central idea of the book. This is actually the, the, the very issue of the entire book. You see it work, um, if, you can, if you understand it, this is being worked out in every single chapter of the book of Job. Okay? Um, Job's friends takes this idea a step further, and they say, they, in reverse, well, Job is being punished, so he must have sinned. Because if he had blessings... God would have been, you know, I mean, if he was doing the right thing, he would still be blessed. Okay, so um, in in a sense, Job's friends are like the first prosperity gospel preachers. You know, like you want a BMW, (laughs) you you know, do the right thing and God's going to bless you. You you do the wrong thing and God's going to curse you. Okay, so um, what I want us to see is. This retribution principle is biblical, okay? It is rooted in God's nature. It is God's nature to bless those people who live righteously, okay? You can look at the entire book of of, of Proverbs, okay? Um, And it is also in God's nature to repay those who sin, right? Paul says, he has appointed a day to judge every single person, right? He will judge you according to your works. And every single word, according to Jesus, is going to be pulled up for judgment. Every single word. That's why I don't talk that much no more. <laughs> I talk very, very few words. I'm like, I got I got to count my, count my words. Because I'm like, my judgment is all, I know my judgment is going to be very long. So from now on, I'm just like, you know, I got I got to choose my words wisely, okay? <laughs> the Bible even says that he will repay them to their face. Okay. So it is in the nature of God. This retribution principle is rooted in God's nature, okay? It is about his character, which is justice. Um, we can look in uh, Deuteronomy 28, okay? Again, to see that this is biblical. Um, we all know this chapter, verse 1, now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to um, observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Here we go. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the country, Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your er um, herds, uh, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flock. 
Blessed shall be your basket. Blessed shall be your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your, their, um, your face. Uh, they shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and, and all to which you put set your hand. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods and the fruit of your body, increase in your livestock and in the produce of your ground. In the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you, the Lord will open to you his good treasures, the heavens, to give the rain um, to your land in its season and to bless all the works of your hands. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commands of the Lord your God, which I command to you today and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. All right. We even make songs about it. Right, Fred? Hand blessed. We blessed in the city, right? So we, we, we love these blessings. If we are just obedient, the Lord is going to bless us. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Like we love all of that stuff, right? Now, look with me. This is verse, verses 1 through 14, correct? Now, look at the end of your chapter 28. How many verses are in this chapter? How many verses are in chapter 28? 68 verses, okay? Now, there's 68 verses in this chapter. There are 14 verses saying that God is going to bless you if you are obedient. That leaves 54 verses of curses. Verse 15, I'm not going to read all, all 54 verses. Okay? But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commands and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be a basket. Cursed shall be a needle bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body to produce the producer of land, the increase of your cattle, offspring of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken him. And then he goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Curse, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that, that, that's it. That's it. That's what he, that's what he says. He's like, you're going to get it. <laughs> right? Now, we hop on the 14 verses. We don't talk nothing about the other four, 54 verses, okay? God even says it in here, I'm going to pursue you until I take you out. Okay. So, this idea of retribution is biblical, okay? Here's the problem, okay? The problem is, God is still sovereign and God is free. Okay? He's not obligated to implement this immediately. <laughs> okay? 
and he's not obligated to even do it in this lifetime. Right? And this is the problem of Job's friends. Job's friends, their theology was correct. God is a God of retributive justice. However, sometimes people sin and they still get blessed. Sometimes people are living righteously and they still struggle. And that's what Job is wrestling with throughout the book. God, how can I live righteously? How can I do the right things? And I still struggle, and yet there are people over here doing whatever they want. And they just getting blessings on top of blessings, on top of blessings, on top of blessings. See, Psalm 37 says, don't fret because of evildoers, because they will soon be cut off. Now, God's definition of soon is not our definition of soon, okay? <laughs> okay? Now, we should realize that, right? God, you know, the clock in heaven, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it's not based on 60 seconds, minutes, okay? Like, God's clock, is something's wrong with God's clock, okay? At least in my perspective, okay? But God allows sometimes for these people to be blessed because they're going to destruction. For all eternity, <laughs> they will suffer. Now, on, on our end, God allows us to suffer and go through things here because for all eternity, we're going to experience the joys of, uh, of God, right? In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Okay. So in the short term, God allows these sufferings to come into our life to, to purify us, to, to benefit us, to shape us into the image of Christ. And he will make things right. Romans chapter 8. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that we shall receive. Right. When you weigh it all out, it'll all make sense. And I'm like, God, some of these things, I don't know if this stuff going to weigh out. But God said, trust him. So, see, these three things um, is, is what we need to keep in mind. OK, God is sovereign over everything. Right. He, he's ruling over over it all. Even the pain and suffering that comes into your life, even the bad things, even the detrimental things. God could have stopped those things, but he did not. And if he did not stop those things, that means it is a part of his purpose and plan for you. And now we have to figure out, God, why did you, what, God, what are you, what are you thinking? Because we're not on the same page. You know, we might not even be in the same library. You know, like I'm in the Overly Branch, <laughs> and you, you in White Marsh. <laughs> All right. But we're trying to understand, God, what is your, right? And, 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 and that is, helps us to start understanding God's providence, where we think, you know, he won't put more on us than we can bear. That's a lie. I don't, look, I'm going to have to go study these verses. What, what verses y'all got? Sometimes I'm like, Lord, I can't handle this, <laughs> right? 
but he sustains us through it even when we feel we can't handle it. Right? And what we have to learn to do is not take the same process of struggle that Job was struggling with because he believed this retribution um, theology. He believed that if I do the right things, I should be blessed. And if, if I sin, then I, I'm going to be cursed and, and I've done the right thing, so I should be blessed. And so as he's wrestling, he's like, whoa, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. God, you must be wrong. So you're doing something wrong because I know I've done something right. Okay. And so that sets up a whole nother challenge at the end of the book. Okay. But the point is to look at Job's example and learn how to trust God. Or as I said in the book of James, to recognize that even our pain is a good gift from a good father to get us where he wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for...